hello again, Revive School. And my name is Gordy Hinky. I am a pastor from northern Indiana. And uh, it is a privilege, again, to meet and to talk about the Word of God. And we've just been opening up this book that is the Apocalypse, the Revelation. And it is not the revelation of anything else except who Jesus is and what the plan has been from the beginning all the way to the end, and it's one plan. And I, I trust that as this is opening up, I know that there are a number of people that I have talked to up at the school that we meet in Sylvan's Barn and, and Shed or whatever you want to call it, that said that honestly they've, they've been in church quite a while, but they really have never had teaching and training in the book of Revelation. And uh, I look at that, and I've, I will tell you this, I've even met with um, pastors and other lead individuals in churches who said, you know what, since there's so little that's understood, uh, we just never teach out of the book of Revelation. And I look at this, and I'm going in the beginning and the end of this book. Here is the blessing for those who read and understand the sayings of this book. And I'm going, I think it's important for us to really understand it. You've heard now through the first four chapters of Revelation, um, the revelation of Christ and how John saw him and what he looks like. And I even want to say this, you know, that's who Jesus is. Um, we try to paint him as the human all the time. And I will tell you, his eyes are like fire and there's a sword coming out of his mouth and his feet are like brass and he shines like the sun. That's that's who he is. He was only human for 33 years. He's the word of God. And then you've got, the, then you come through the church age and you see how chapters two and three are. And then you come into chapter four, which Kyle just did. And, and you have this throne room scene and we're going to put that up on the screen. And, and you have the one that sits on a throne and he's only described by colors of a stone. In fact, it doesn't even really give an indication of any form. It just says his appearance is like this and it gives some colorful stones and it talks about how he's surrounded with this jasper rainbow and it all these things that you're you're coming into and you've got all of this and so now we're going to bring that that picture into an action plan and so as we enter chapter five you you take the four beasts the four creatures and the four and twenty elders and you you put all this together and so now it's almost like if there was an artist that painted a picture and the picture, you know, like the Last Supper or something, you put the picture there just as we have here. And then all of a sudden you push play and all of a sudden this thing starts going forward from here. And that's what we have. We have John coming into a throne room scene and then all of a sudden things begin to move. And you've got the four beasts and, and they're crying out and, and, and you've got the four and twenty elders bowing down and man, it just goes on and you start, if you really get into this and you hear some of the, you know, like revelation song and stuff like that, you just hear some of this worthy, worthy, holy, holy and all these things. Bring that forward now. And let's go to chapter five and see how this continues to play out. And I trust to bring some intriguing things. I like that word because what that means to me is my curiosity. It just takes it step by step by step. And I start asking questions, many of which I can't answer. But I like asking the questions just so I can expand maybe my understanding and even imagination into the things of the spirit in heaven. And it says this in chapter five, verse one of the book of Revelation. In the King James. Um, <laughs> I saw 
in the right hand of him that sat on the throne. I, I look at this and I'm going, many people say, well, that's Jesus who sits on the throne. And we're going to find out that that's not Jesus sitting on the throne. It must be the father. And we say, so he's sitting on a throne and it says, and on the throne, uh, in the right hand, I saw in the right hand of him that sat on a throne, a book written. Now, let me just for clarification also look up the word book. The Greek word for the word book is biblion. That's where we get our word Bible. And what it means is a book. But this book is actually would be considered a scroll. So it's, it's wrapped up, so to speak. And it says this, this book was written within and on the backside. And so if you can picture like a scroll rolled up, but you can see that the, there's words that are going to end up on both sides because some of them are going to go underneath the flap and yet you can read around the outside and you can look down the middle and you can see that it's written on on both sides and and it says and it's sealed with seven seals now it's interesting um, how this would be a picture then here's the here's the being on the throne and he's sitting there and suddenly the camera would zoom in and it's going to zoom in on his hand and on his in his right hand, there's going to be a scroll. And as he's sitting there, it's almost like he is the one that's keeping the guard and the watch on whatever is so important in the right hand of that book. And so that's the formation of where we are when we come into Revelation chapter five. And then it says this in verse two, and I saw a strong angel, and it just means a big, powerful being, an angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the book and to loose the seals thereof. So what we have to look at then is, okay, now, um, who is worthy to open the book and to loose the seals thereof must mean that there is qualification by something or by someone that is intended to be able to open. So you have the criteria somewhere that somebody has the right by whatever it's sealed with or whom it's sealed to or by to open these seals. Well, here you have a king sitting on a throne holding a scroll with seven seals on it. And evidently there was criteria that was inscribed for who could open this seal. So let's look further ahead here. And it says, and no man, verse three, no man in heaven nor in earth, neither under the earth was able to open the book and neither to look thereon. So in other words, Everybody's desire is to look up there, see that scroll, because the camera zoomed right in on it. And when it did, you, you, you're fascinated by this thing and you're going, man, I wonder what it says. And you're going, well, who can open it? And so, hey, anybody here that can open this up? And the king just sits there because no one can go up and take the scroll and look at it. And yet, you, you, if you don't open it, you can't see what it says. So then we go to verse 4. And it says, and this is John now, and he says, And I wept much, because no man was found worthy to open and to read the book, neither to look thereon. And so there, there are certain things that are implied here, okay? You, you evidently, and, and this is what I understand from different 
associations that I have with people who have had out-of-the-body experience, whether people believe it or not, I do, and they've gone into places in spirit, some to heaven, you know, you've got different people who uh, have the stories and even movies about, and it's like when they go, they know things that they can't know here. I know a man from my own area that went to heaven for a couple hours, had a vision, was out out of his body, and, and I know him very well. I've heard his story many times. And and he knows things that when he sees stuff, he, he just knows what it is. Well, what this implies with, with John is, is that there's something that is so important that is in that scroll that needs to be opened up that when there's nobody to open up, we, we can't go on here. We don't know what we're going to do. And he, he just wept. He said, no, there's got to be somebody who was found worthy to open and read and look on the inside. Well, the good news is that there is an answer. And verse 5 says, And one of the elders, one of the 24, evidently heard the loud weeping, which made John, in a sense, part of the scenery now. And suddenly one of the elders turns and goes, Hey, you don't need to weep. It's going to be okay. Weep not. Behold. I love this. Hope you do too. The lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, hath prevailed to open the book and to loose the seven seals thereof. So here's, here's what this is interesting to me that the elders were not weeping. It was almost like they were set to observe the right of this thing coming forward. Hey, don't weep. We'll let you in on the information we already have. There is one. He is the line of the tribe of Judah, the root of David. He is worthy to open the book and to loose the seven seals. Let's go to verse 6. And I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne... And of the four beasts, and in the midst of the elders, stood a lamb as if it had been slain, having seven horns, seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent forth into all the earth. Now, I'd like to say that we would t- change this picture into having now this being in the middle here. So if we go over to the, to the picture, so here's what we have. We have the throne. We have the four beasts. We have the 24 elders, and now in the middle of them is a lamb as if it had been slain. Now, I don't know exactly what that means. Does he look like a lamb? Well, we already know what he looks like from Revelation chapter 1. How does a man like Christ, a person looking like him, look like a lamb that has been slain? unless what he has is just the marks of his slaughter, so to speak. I don't know this, but it, John definitely knows what he's talking about. And then he adds to the picture here, and look, I don't get this either. He has seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God. We've heard the seven spirits of God several times already by the time we get to chapter 5. Seven spirits of God sent forth into all the earth. Now, uh, Kyle alluded to um, Isaiah chapter 11. And there are 
uh, it says that it's talking about, well, in fact, why don't we just go to Isaiah chapter 11? Because it is interesting how this, go, go to verse 1 uh, in there. And listen what it says. And there shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. So here's, here's what I look at. That out of this is this lion of the tribe of Judah. And it starts him out with Jewish roots in a sense. And then in verse two, it says, and the spirit of the Lord, which in, for me, I just translate that immediately. He's the spirit of truth. That is the overall witness of the spirit, uh, the Holy Spirit himself shall rest upon him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. So if you wanted to, you could look at that and say seven spirits. But we actually know there's only one Holy Spirit and he is the third person of the Godhead. And so we try to figure out this seven spirit type thing. And um, look, I, I'm no definitely not smarter than the average bear. And um but I, I look at these things and I'm going, now, what about this is important? What, what about these things? And, and I'll tell you what is, it, for me, there are some things that I, I just like to bring out just for a little bit. Years ago, many years ago, when we first started out um, as a church in ministry, I, I did a study on these kinds of things because I, I'm one who... Um, I was introduced to a prayer walker many, many, many years ago who just recently passed from this earth. And um, what we did was he taught us how to pray some of these things. And instead of just praying for people, realizing that Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12 says, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, the rulers of the darkness of this world and spiritual wickedness in high places. And so we we have all of this understanding of territorial and movement spirits and influence spirits. And so when I look at this, I, I, I hear the intrigue of God sends his influence in spirit to every place on the face of the earth, and especially those who would receive it would be those in the church because they're already born of the Spirit of God. So the Spirit of God would have a home or a dwelling place in them, and His influence would be automatic in them. So on one side of a laminated sheet, I would put all of these Spirit of God pieces on there. And I'd say, here's, here's how we want to pray. And then I also looked up others and, and I'm just going to read some to you because these are, these are just things that, uh, the, the word declares about evil spirits. In Numbers 5, there's a spirit of jealousy. In Isaiah 4, there's a spirit of judgment. In, uh, Isaiah 4, there's also a spirit of burning. In Isaiah 29, there's a spirit of deep sleep, and that's backed up by a spirit of slumber in Romans chapter 11. There's a spirit of heaviness, which is almost a depressive spirit, and that's in Isaiah 61. There's actually a spirit of whoredom or adultery in Hosea chapter 5 and a couple other places. There's a spirit of infirmity in Luke chapter 13. There's a spirit of divination in Acts 16. There's a spirit of fear in 2 Timothy 1. There's a spirit of antichrist, which is what 1 John writes about. And so what I did was I would put these, these spirits on, 
on a, on a card and on one side would be the spirit of God and on the other side would be the evil spirits and we would walk and we would say, Father, in the name of Jesus, and maybe this is so far out of your comfort zone, that's okay. Just leave it up to crazy people. And um, I would say, God, in the midst of this place, we recognize some of these spirits and we come against the works that they would bring into these neighborhoods and into these places and we speak death to them and we pray, oh God, that you would root them out and we pray, God, that you would fill this area with the spirits of wisdom and understanding and the spirit of might and the spirit of counsel and the spirit of the fear of the Lord and we would pray these things so that we would at least be warriors for the spirit of God to say, spirit of God, be, come into this place and make these people susceptible to, and they, they wouldn't even know the influence. But I look at this and I'm going, if that seems so crazy, okay? I look at what role the United States plays in many foreign nations. And what we do is we, we tend to, to go into places and we become peacekeepers. In other words, we keep the enemy at bay and we let the influence that we bring begin to influence the population around them so they have a glimpse of freedom so that they can begin to see what's possible in their communities and in their places. And we look at that and we say, God, do the same thing here except in the Spirit. We, be, we are the intervention for these people. And God, may you have your way here. And maybe that's something that's new to you folks. Maybe whoever's listening, you're going, that sounds intriguing. I tell you, open your word, find these things and go after it. What have we got to lose? What have we got to gain? And, and I just look at this stuff, and if that's not your cup of tea, it's okay. I'll keep it. And um, But I, I just look at this, and I'm going, seven spirits of God. You know what's also intriguing to me? Uh, Kevin, if you would, turn to Matthew chapter 12 and, and verse 44. Jesus is talking about there's a strong man and this kind of stuff. And if the if the devil is cast out, and then he says... He says, this enemy that's been cast out will say, Then he saith, I will return into my house from whence I came out. And when he is come, he findeth it empty, swept, and garnished. Next verse says, Then goeth he and taketh with himself seven other spirits more wicked than himself, and they enter in and dwell there. And the last state of that man is worse than the first. Even so shall be unto this wicked generation. All I'm doing is I'm going, God... It talks about seven spirits. It talks about seven spirits. Why is there something significant about this? In fact, if you, uh, there's another place that we don't have to turn there, but in Luke chapter eight, it talks about Mary Magdalene of whom was cast out seven devils. So I'm intrigued to say, was there something in her life and it was cast out and what came back was seven worse than themselves? Look, I don't know these things. But what I'm not going to be is afraid of looking at the possibilities that there's actually a strategy in the spirit that if there's something that happens and seven spirits are actually considered a super authority, then you would look at the spirits of God and go, wow, he's given us the possibility of having a super authority. And yet on the backside of that, and I realize we're reading quite a bit into this, but, but I, I liked This is my area of intrigue because if God's wanting to have this written in this way, if he's not afraid of writing it, then I shouldn't be afraid of reading it. If I don't have a reasonable application, it's nothing to me. So I look at it and go, God, what would a reasonable application of your word in my life be? 
So I look at these things and I say, God, okay, let's analyze my life. Is there a spirit of wisdom? Is there a spirit of truth? Is there a spirit of understanding? Do I have a spirit of counsel, a spirit of might, a spirit of knowledge, a spirit of the fear of the Lord? Is there something lacking in me? Because what I, what I see in this is, we, we just got through studying the, the seven churches. They're strong in certain areas, but they're very weak in other areas. And some of them have almost nothing going forward. You have a name which you live, but you're dead. And I, and I look at these things, I'm going, I wonder what, what it was like, how the Spirit actually died in the church. I wonder how these things came about. And was it that they gave in in certain areas, and pretty soon the bewitching spirit, and the spirit of adultery, and the spirit of burning, and the spirit of deep sleep, made their way into the church, and, and pretty soon apathy is just sitting there, and people don't care anymore. And pretty soon there's nothing left, and they have a name, but they're dead. I don't know. But I even want to, I, I'm, I'm telling you, this is how serious I am about this. I want to get with our leadership and I want to say, what's the evidence that we have the spirit of wisdom? What's the evidence that we have the spirit of counsel? What's the evidence that we have the spirit of judgment? What's the, what's the evidence that we have the spirit of might? These are the seven spirits of God. I don't know all of the application, but I want to. Because if these things were available and they're spoken over and over and over again, and, and maybe the reason that I have issues in certain areas of the church is because we're not open to other areas of what the God wants to bring into our congregation. These are things that intrigue me. And so realizing that all of these things are in between the lines, so to speak. But what is the importance of the seven spirits of God, which are spoken over and over and over and over again in the book of Revelation? And yet we go... I don't know. I don't know. I want to know. So there's part of a possibility. And I think it's worth looking at. So we're going to go on. And it says this, that he who had the seven eyes and the seven horns, he came and took the book out of the right hand of him that sat on the throne. Well, if the lamb had been slain, who does that represent? What would you say, Kevin? I'd say that represents Jesus Christ. To me, pretty much has to be, doesn't it? So, Jesus, who comes in, and the elders are all, in a sense, now, this is my picture, so just go with me for a bit. If there is a possibility of who the 24 elders is, here, here's one that many people believe. They believe that there, there, there could be the representatives of the 12 tribes out of the Old Testament and the 12 apostles out of the New Testament. It's a possibility. The glorious thing about this is that these 24 become witnesses to what is supposed to take place because the authority, whatever it is, in the right hand of the one who sits on the throne is meant to be handed to because Jesus, I just love these pictures, told the woman in the garden, don't touch me, I have not yet ascended to my father after his resurrection. In other words, I think he had to present himself as the lamb that was slain, but has been risen again from the dead so that he would be ready to take the book because now the price he paid purchased the right for him to take this book out of the hand of the one who sits on the throne. And I see these things and I'm going, God, you're telling us the story, but it takes some doing to put it all together. And he took the book out of the right hand of him that sat on the throne. Verse 8. And when he had taken the book, as soon as he took the book, here we go. The four beasts and the four and twenty elders fell down before the lamb. Every one of them have harps. 
Golden vials full of odors or incense, which are the prayers of the saints. Verse 9. And they sang a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals, for Thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by the blood out of every kindred, out of every tongue and people and nation, and hast made us unto God kings and priests. And we shall reign on the earth. When I look at this stuff, I'm going... I'm just going to ask you, you, you ready to fall down? If, if you're really thinking this picture and using your imagination, you're going, God help me. I, I want to be part of a number who hears this, sees this, witnesses this. Worthy. Worthy. I don't think we can sing that often enough in the church, practicing for the things of heaven. Verse 11. And I beheld and I heard the voice of many angels round about the throne and the beasts and the elders. And the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000. Okay, I did the math. What's 10,000 times 10,000 there, Tom? Yeah, lots of millions. 100 million. 100 million? 100 million. Can you imagine that choir? And thousands of thousands. So it's 100 million plus. I've seen some big crowds in my life. I ain't seen nothing like this. Verse 12. They were saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. How many attributes were they giving? You guessed it. Seven. It's the biggest list there is. Following a worthy. He's worthy to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea and all that are in them. Heard I saying blessing and honor and glory and power be unto him that sitteth upon the throne and unto the lamb forever and ever. So they're seeing something come together here. Now you've got the one on the throne who no longer holds the scroll. You've got the lamb in front who is now holding the scroll. Let's go on. And the four beasts said, Amen. And the four and twenty elders fell down and worshipped him that liveth forever and ever. I see how these things come together. And I, and I look at this and can you imagine just at all, depending who these elders are, when you come to what the Lord of the Rings says, the end of all things, and, and you, you think about what you have labored for. Now, please understand, I don't believe I've labored hard and had to put up with so much. But man, there's people all over the world that have suffered. And there's people who have gone through periods of age when it was horrible to be a Christian and fed to the lions and burned at the stake and all these things. And, and yet, if they'd come into this throne room and they'd see and they'd hear the millions and they'd, they'd hear this worthy song. I look at this and I'm going, God, all I want to do, I just want to be there. You don't have to say anything. You don't have to do anything. I don't have to. There's nothing there except I just want to be there. Because I know this. I won't be standing. 
I will be like any of those 24 elders. If there's a crown on my head, I know where it will be cast. And if there was any part of me that had any strength, it is now gone and I'd be prostrate along with the other millions that would be worshiping there at the throne of God. And I look at this and say, God, help me. This is all I want. Chapter 5 is an awesome chapter of the worship that begins at this point. And then we're going to set the stage for deeper things. That's the end of this chapter. And we'll talk to you later.